0: We are looking at the prayer life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 as He teaches His disciples in the manner in which they ought to pray. And up to this point, I hope that we notice that Jesus has not prayed for anything of Himself. He has simply begun, Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so far, uh, this isn't a, a prayer that is uh, about things that are, uh, you know, well, now here's my problems today and here's all the things I need you to fix. And that's and always, I, I think, useful to keep in mind. It's, it's so easy to turn prayer uh, into the I want wish list, and uh, that's useful this time of year for us to think in those terms that, well, Lord, uh, 2009's coming, and here's all the things I want for my life this year. Here's all the things and how I want things to be. And while it's not wrong for us to request all sorts of things of God, I hope that we've seen in these first couple of lessons, we, we need to begin by putting our focus on God's priority. Uh, and Jesus does that so many times and repeatedly gives us that example of, as he even makes a request, asking that, well, it's going to be God's will above all else. I, I need God's will to be accomplished. We want the kingdom's purpose to be accomplished. And he does all of that under the framework of talking To his father. And so uh, I hope that the first couple of lessons have been able to uh, perhaps change our perspective a little bit uh, on how we pray to God as we we begin to talk to him like a father and then let that filter down into a realization that as his child and as sons and daughters of God, I I want to to have happen what's in God's best interest. I want to be found pleasing to God. I want to find God's approval. And, and Jesus then lays that out as he, he gives us these directions. He then goes on now in, in chapter 6 and He says, uh, Give us today our, our daily bread. And so we now get to a, a, a focus of... Uh, physical needs. And I think that is uh, important to keep in mind as well is that it's easy to sometimes think that, well, we can't pray for anything physical. Uh, I shouldn't talk to God about anything that's going on in my life of of physical things. I only should talk to God about my spiritual needs and and spiritual things about the kingdom. And, And it's important for us to see here that after He talks about the kingdom and about God's will being done, Yes, let's talk about the everyday, average, physical things that go on in life. As children speaking to our Father, we have the ability to talk to Him and and the willingness of the Father that wants for us to explain to Him and talk to Him about the things that are going on in our life. But you can't help but miss that He speaks of the Today. Uh that's that's I think the trick to what Jesus says here is that Jesus does not begin to speak about okay now here's what I need next week and I and I need this to happen in January and it would be good if 2009 was like this and uh in about 2040 I need to have this and uh, have it all kind of laid out. Jesus centers the prayer simply on today. And in my opinion, that's hard. (laughs) That is very hard when we're talking about physical things to say, now I'm just going to be concerned about today. I'm only going to be concerned about the things that are going on right now. And in fact, in this very chapter, you'll get to the point where he's going to say, don't worry about the things of tomorrow. There's enough problems with tomorrow. All the the difficulties and the things that will happen tomorrow. Let's not mess with that. Let's just mess with all the problems we have today, the things we need today, because that's sufficient enough. That list is long enough to go before God and, and talk to Him about just what is going on today. And so it's important for us as we read these words to remind ourselves that we can pray about physical needs, but it is about the needs and not all of our wants, wishes, greed, uh, selfish desires, things like that. And that's why I think the, the previous phrase was important. Your will be done. Okay, I've got God's purpose in mind. I'm keeping God's will at the forefront so that... What I'm asking for are the necessities, the things that are required. Not, okay, now Lord, it would be great. I need a new car and so... Let's see, uh, Lexus would be good. I'll tell you If we can work out a Lexus this year, that would be great for 2009. And uh, uh, some, uh, new computers, yes, that would be good. New TVs, it's all high def now. I've got, got to hurry before February, otherwise, I'm going to be all messed up. And so, uh, high definition TVs, we need those as well. Uh, that's not what we're talking about when we get into the physical needs. And, and it's easy to get into both extremes. Either I stay completely away from praying to God about the physical things, or I start talking about all of these physical wants and wishes, and oh, we need this and that, and, and, and we lose sight of that. And that's really been bad in the religious world anymore. Uh, Mr. Mega Church Joel Osteen is, is I think, king top dog. Of pray for all of your physical wants, wishes, luxuries, and hopes, and it'll all come to you. Pray for parking lot spaces, it'll come. Pray for a limousine, you'll surely have it. Just think warm, fuzzy thoughts of good tidings, and, and it'll be blessed to you. Uh, that is in violation of Jesus' teaching right here of prayer. It is not about all of the wants and all of the things, and we so easily forget how filthy, stinky, and rich all of us are. <laughs> we just forget. We think we are so impoverished and we have it so bad and it's so rough and it's just so miserable right now and how will we ever survive? In 2009, it's just going to be a calamity of calamities and it's the end of the economic world as we know it. Oh, woe is us. We need to be real. And appreciative and grateful and thankful for all the things that we have. And Jesus is reminding us of that when He talks about, let's talk to God about the things that we need. When I think about all the things that I need today, how much do you and I really need today? Well, I'm okay on food today, (laughs) I'm okay on clothing today got a place to stay today. Uh, It reminds us to be content. It reminds us of all the things that I have. It reminds us to be grateful because I'm looking at all these things. Okay, now what do I really need today? Well, I'm doing pretty good today. (laughs) And And I get zeroed back in that I'm doing all right and I shouldn't be so greedy. And I shouldn't be so desirous of the physical things of the world. I think the other thing that we learn from this statement of give us today our daily bread is that we need to bring God the little things because when you step back in the scope of what Jesus is about to do what the disciples are going to be doing and their purpose as apostles on the earth and all that they're going to be doing for the kingdom of God and and here Jesus says go ahead and pray about you know, today's food, go ahead and pray about today's physical necessities, it's okay to do that, then that reminds us that we are allowed to take the little things to God. And sometimes I don't feel like I can do that. How can I talk to the the, the great God and creator of the universe about these measly, piddly things that are going on in my life? How can I feel comfortable in doing that? He's too busy. He's got plenty more important things to do. There's so many other things going on in life. How can I I waste God's time? Talking about little things. And the way to overcome that kind of thinking is to remember the first phrase. That is, we're talking to our father. We have to keep in focus that we're talking to our father Parents want to hear what's going on with their children, even the little things. The little things might crack us up a little bit, but we're happy to address them and deal with them. Uh, that happened to me as I was writing this lesson and studying it and putting it out to, and laying it out and typing it up and working on it. That uh, little Grace comes to, comes uh, teetering in there, and she's got these boots on, but she can't zip them. And she sits down on the floor next to my chair as I'm at the computer and all I hear are the words zip it, zip it, zip it, zip it. There's a zip to pull up the boots. Now do I turn around and go, no Grace, I'm just way too busy for that. You don't understand all the things that I have to do. no. I smile and I set my legs down and turn around and zip it. And she goes, thank you Daddy. And off she goes, And think of God as your father. That's That is such a powerful image that God was bringing to our mind to say that we can address Him in this close, intimate relationship that He wants to hear everything. Talk to Him realistically about the little things that are going on in your life. It's okay to do that. And I would argue that by doing that, that helps that keep from becoming bigger things. When we talk to God about the little things, that will help prevent those little things from turning into bigger and worse things. When we have what we would think are little decisions, "Ah, I don't know really what to do right now. I need to rely upon God. Making a good decision and making the godly choice at that point could spare you from all sorts of disaster that could come down the road. Take God the little things. I've seen that in so many lives and people I know and friends that I have and even in my own life that seemingly inconsequential, insignificant decisions change everything. I made that point to you before. One of them is like, where you go to college? It doesn't seem like a silly thing to talk to God and pray to God for the wisdom about where to go to school. And does it change everything? (laughs) Make a good choice? Good. Make a bad choice? Could be very bad. We need to talk to God about the little things because that can prevent big, bad things from coming along, causing problems, bringing us into temptation, bringing about trials. And so the Lord reminds us here as he, He says these words, give us today... Our daily bread is we need to to remember let's not be greedy, let's be appreciative of what we had, pray for the needs of the day, take God the little things, tell Him about the things that are going on in our lives. He goes on, forgive us our debts. I like that as well. Because that just assumes that we're going to make mistakes. I have the ability to go before God. He knows full well that I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to sin. I'm going to mess up. And he says, when you do that, ask Him for forgiveness. That's okay to do. And sometimes I feel really awfully bad about that. <laughs> you know, it's, man, i got messed up again and I, and I beat myself up about that. And, and here's a reminder that, that God wants you back. He wants you to ask for forgiveness. He wants you to confess your sin. He wants to tell, to, for you to address those things with Him. He wants to take care of those things. Uh, this is not a horrible thing for God to do. In fact, the very purposes of all the earth are built upon God wanting to forgive us of our sins. Uh, the whole scheme of life is all centered upon that. And so it reminds us, yes, we can go before our Father and we can talk to Him and we can pray to Him and we can ask Him for forgiveness. And I think that is so important for us to keep in mind. Especially, again, when you put it in a parent-child relationship. As God our Father and, and we the children. As parents, which would you rather see? Would you rather see disobedience with the utter heart of rebellion behind it? Or would you rather see disobedience with the heart of sorrow? Uh, We are just with open arms taking children back when, yes, I know you made a mistake and they are sorrowful about that. They comprehend what they've done wrong and they, they, they seek forgiveness. That's a wonderful thing. It is the difficult times when you have the child of rebellion that doesn't care anymore. That looks you in the face and says, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's where, where we have grave problems. But uh, God is certainly not upset to see his children come back to him and say, I am sorry. I have made a mistake. I have certainly dropped the ball. I have fallen short. And, and the father lovingly and willingly takes us back. Which leads me into the thought that, do we really believe that God erases our sins? Because that's built within this, is that we are asking God to forgive us our debts, to take care of our sins, and that he is going to do that. Do we really believe that that happens? And what I mean by that is, so often we can be really swallowed up in our guilt, and really think that, We are so awful, we've done such terrible things that God certainly cannot forgive me of this sin. He can't erase this one. I've done too much. Or it's either quantity or quality of sin or both. The sins have been so bad. Or there's been so many of them that how could God ever take me back? And it's powerful phrases that God had to use to remind us that He does. I love the phrase, your sins are... Thrown into the depths of the ocean. They're trampled under your feet. They're they're gone. There's just the end of them. God doesn't see them anymore. He he takes care of them and erases those sins. And, And I think there's two difficulties then that follow along with that. The first is I can't understand how God keeps forgiving me of sin. When other people do things wrong over and over and over again, and especially if it's against us. We get sick and tired of that. We get frustrated by that. We, we can't understand why this person keeps doing that. And we typically have our compassion shortened because we see somebody in a repeated state of sin or transgression or missing the mark of some sort, doing something wrong. I think it's hard for us to comprehend that it doesn't matter how often we sin, God will keep forgiving us. That's a, that's a challenging concept, I think, to the human mind. Because we get to the point where it's like, yeah, okay, once and maybe twice, and boy, three times. Uh, and then we start getting out there, and that's the, the story of Peter asking the Lord up seven times, and you think, seven times, that's outrageous. Anybody who would ever do something against me seven times the same thing, forget it. No way. You're out of chances. The door's closed. The relationship's blown. It's over. I think it's easy for us to feel that way with our relationship with God because that's the way we feel with one another. And it's hard to comprehend. That's how vast God's love is, how great it is that... We can keep sinning and God will keep taking us back. And I'm dumbfounded that He keeps doing that. At some point, I feel like He just should vaporize me. I just, okay, you're done. Uh, that was enough. You know, five million times. That's, you know, okay, I've got to throw in the towel at this point. He doesn't do that. It's fascinating. And so I think it's one of our mental hurdles and challenges that we have is to remind us that God will keep taking us back we have to sink that into our minds. It is so important. God will take us back. And so it's hard for us because we can't understand how God can do that. But it's a powerful picture of God's love for us. And I think the second part that's hard for us to believe that God forgives us is that it's so easy to obtain forgiveness. This is the essence of, I think, uh, a system of works is that I would feel a lot better if I obtained forgiveness by having to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And if I got to the top, then I would have earned some kind of feeling that, okay, it's okay for God to forgive me now because I've done something good. I've done something hard. You know, I can obtain forgiveness if I go and do a bunch of good things and that will make me feel a little better. I think that's the other part of our difficulty with forgiveness is that forgiveness is as easy as turning to God and being sorrowful and asking God, please forgive me, and we're done? And it's like, shouldn't that be harder? <laughs> shouldn't there be, be a, I shouldn't I have to go do something challenging? Shouldn't I have to uh, go do good deeds and, and count something, or go somewhere, or tell somebody, or you know, have to do something? No. And I think that's a a really neat picture about God's willingness to forgive us. As God has made forgiveness easy to obtain, and He will forgive us over and over and over again. And it's easy to, to forget that, is that He keeps erasing my sin. I don't have to cower in fear because of the things that I have committed last week. The things that I did last month, the sins of last year, the sins of of the, the decades of life that we have been on the earth, those things are erased. They've been cast into the sea. They've been trampled under. God wants us to know that we're forgiven. I wouldn't want my children to cower in fear over things that they did wrong last week. I want them to understand what they did was wrong learn from it, to do better, but forget about it. I think the Father operates with us in the same way. I want you to learn. I don't want you to do it again, but okay, move on. Go forward and live for God. And I think that's a beautiful picture that we are being given here is that we are forgiven by God of our debts. As we are also have forgiven our debtors. That's such an interesting rest of the sentence is that it reminds us that God has been so gracious and so loving and so forgiving so repeatedly that we can hardly comprehend how he can keep forgiving us. That it puts the responsibility into our hand that says now you must be very gracious with everybody else because of God's graciousness toward us. It reminds us when we pray to God, every time that we pray to God and we ask God to be forgiven, it must remind us that I need to be compassionate and forgiving to everybody I am dealing with. Because I am repeatedly going before God for forgiveness and people aren't doing things half as bad to me as as all humanity has done to God. And so I need to be gracious and I need to be remindful of that. In fact, if you notice verse 14, he expands upon it. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Verse 15, but if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. There's accountability. How I want God to treat me is the same kind of compassion and graciousness that I need to extend toward everybody else. And I feel like we really are like the parable of the the unjust steward who is so grateful to have this great debt blotted out and then turn to our neighbor and ring them for just a few things... It is so easy to fall into the trap of that parable of being forgiven so much and then turning around and these minor trespasses and offenses that are done against us of our violation of justice and things that hurt our feelings and cause us to feel bad. And we want to just unload all that. And here Jesus reminds us, God forgives us, don't forget, we must forgive others or that well dries up. Uh, He is forgiving of us as long as we are gracious and forgiving of others. I think it's important for us to keep in mind, I think there's a, a lot of reasons why we need to forgive people. One of them is clearly pointed out here. We forgive because God's forgiven us. We we just can't ever lose sight of that. We forgive others because God has forgiven us. But there's also a, a very important, tangible benefit for us in forgiving other people, and that is, I think it, it it keeps us being what God wants us to be. I think we fall into sin when we are begrudging about forgiveness, when we don't want to be compassionate. And forgive other people. Because what happens is is when somebody does something wrong, if we are not immediately letting it go, forgiving, that's really the base of that, send it away, letting it go. You know what happens to us? We get bitter. We dwell on it. We get frustrated. We get angry. We start treating the person in ways we shouldn't. We often retaliate. We start acting in ways that we shouldn't act. And so I think Jesus is telling us this is because we need to remember that there's a tangible benefit that stands before us. That we need to forgive because if we don't, we build up resentment and we build up anger and we build up malice and we build up this strife. And we can't do that. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's important for us to be proactive in our forgiveness. Because there's going to be maybe more times than not, more often than not, that people will do things against us and they will have no idea that they have done something against us. And if we are not immediately letting it go, letting it roll off our back, acting forgiving, being compassionate, and not assuming the worst, just sending it away, then we are the ones that are upset and bitter and angry, and they have no idea that anything even happened. We can't do that. We must respond with a different reaction than a typical reaction of when somebody does something wrong toward us, I'm going to do something wrong toward them, I'm going to be ugly toward them, I'm going to respond in the same way. That just makes us bad. That makes us not what God wants us to be. And so I think that's why these reminders are here for verse 12, and then to expand upon it, in verse 14 and verse 15, that we have to understand the impact of this. It's not that by me saying I've let it go that now their sins are forgiven. That's only reserved for God. I can't forgive your sins. You cannot forgive my sins. This is more of a matter of ourselves. I forgive because I don't want to be something that I don't want to be. I don't want to steer away from godliness. I want to forgive because that's the extension of God's graciousness. I'm reflecting what God has done for me and I want to show it towards you. And I think it also reminds us as well, one final point on this verse, is that it reminds us that that requires humility. The only way to have that kind of forgiving heart is to be humble. If I'm not, then that's when I get upset Is well, who are they to do this to me? And don't they know who I am and how can they possibly do that? And, and it really comes really out of ego and it comes out of arrogance and pride. And to have such a, an outflowing of compassion and forgiveness requires a humble heart. Uh, the parable that Jesus told between the tax the collector and the Pharisee really shows that because you have there in verse ten of, of Luke eighteen, two men went up to the temple to pray. Okay? They're they're gonna pray to God. And that's what we're all we're talking about this morning is how we pray and talking about forgiveness, how we talk to God about that necessity. And I mean, that has to be just a fascinating statement there in verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I wonder what the tax collector thought of that. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You know, that wasn't very nice. Where is the compassion in that? Where is this heart of forgiveness? Where is this humility? No, it is coming before God and saying, Well, I know I've messed up, but boy, there's some other worse ones out there. Far worse than me. And I sure thank God that I'm not as bad as them. And you need to give me a gold star because at least I'm not as bad as them. And then we've completely lost everything. We've lost compassion and we've lost forgiveness from God when that's our mentality. It is the tax collector who understood his lowly position, who had no ego, who couldn't even raise up his eyes and just said, the sinner. That's it. That's all I am. I'm just the sinner. We need to have that attitude when we come before God in prayer. I'm just the sinner. I'm nothing special. It is all God and not me. And because I know that, I'm going to be forgiving and compassionate toward everybody else, even when they wrong me and do things against me. He goes on and he says to pray against temptation there in verse 13. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word temptation is fascinating, and I don't have time to go into a lot of detail about this. But it also occurs the same way in James. This word means both temptation and trial. And if you were here last year, I, I think Mike in the lectureship did a really good job talking about how temptation and trial are really two faces of the same coin. That they they really fit together. And and in fact, the New Revised Standard uses trial instead of temptation there just to show. That it's a very interchangeable concept. And I think the reason why it can be used interchangeably throughout the New Testament is because they both re- rely upon one another. Uh, temptations are certainly times of trial, and t- times of trial certainly bring temptations. Uh, they, they just work hand in hand. If you're in a temptation, it's a time of trial for you. And if you're in times of trial, there's all sorts of temptations that are around you. And so it, it fits together. And so here is... God now coming in and saying, now pray for your spiritual needs also. Understand where your weaknesses are. Understand where your challenges are in fighting Satan. And talk to God about it. Tell Him about what you know about what's going to happen. You know today's going to be a tough day at work, that there's going to be a situation there that's going to be challenging to... Keep a cool head because they're not doing what's right or they're treating you badly. Talk to God about that. You're going to go to school today. Things are going to be hard. You know the pressure's going to be there. Talk to God about that. You know, driving this time of year is pretty tough. These people from Toronto are killing me. And so you talk to God about that. you got to just talk to God about things that are going to tempt you. Talk to God about things that are hard. When you're in difficulty, talk to God. He's your father. And every father wants to know the problems and the challenges and the difficulties of their children. And so he's saying, tell him, talk to him, tell him about your spiritual needs. And the, the word is interesting here as well. And I think the picture that he's giving us is that we pray so we won't be swallowed up by trials, that we won't be swallowed up by these temptations. The phrase that says, lead us. Don't lead us into temptation. That word lead us actually has this idea of carry inward. And so don't bring us to temptation. Don't let temptation overwhelm us. And there's putting our trust in God that I know there's no temptation too great that I cannot overcome with God's help. There's no trial that I am in that I'm not able to escape without God's help. I can handle every trial. I can overcome every temptation. God has ensured every one of us that there is nothing that we are enduring that is too great that has to swallow us up and carry us away. There's nothing too hard. God has ensured that. Which, in my opinion, helps me look at other people and go God has a Great belief in you. You've gone through so much. God has a a high belief in you that you can overcome. You are going through so many difficulties. You are going through some enduring temptations. You are going through some challenging trials. You know what that says? God believes in you to a high extent. (laughs) He knows that you can handle all of that. Often in the trial, we don't think we can we look at it and don't think it's possible. How in the world can we get through this? God has a high trust in you. He has only given you what you can handle. The temptation in front of you is not too great to overcome. And we probably need to let that sink in our ears a little bit. The temptation that is in front of us, the temptation that constantly causes us to stumble, you and I can get over. We can fix that. It's not too great, and it's not too late. We can overcome. And so it does remind us again humility is that I need God's help. The times when I'm not praying to God about temptations and trials is the times that I think that I can do it all myself. I've got it all figured out. Things are going just fine and so I step away from the security blanket of God and think I am doing great. (laughs) I have got things going. I have conquered this temptation. I'm ready to step out there and Be the better Christian. And usually that attitude gets us hit by Satan's bus again as some other temptation or trial comes along. Rely upon God. Trust in God to help you get through. Use prayer as the way to get through that. Delivering us from evil. We pray for God to help us to seek the ways of escape. That those ways will become very obvious to us. The opportunities to avoid trial, to get out of temptation, what have you. The right choices in life, that those will be obvious. Because often in temptation, clarity is difficult. In trial, clarity is certainly difficult. In trying to know what should I do, what is the best course. Pray for God for direction. Pray for Him for strength. Pray for us that we comprehend God's promises. That Well, it's in those times that we think God's left us. And he's promised that's not possible. And God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never give us too much. There's nothing that we cannot handle. That God is with us in every step of the way. But what that means is I cannot be passive. I have to put in the work. I have to get through the trial. I have to overcome the temptation. God has empowered me to do it. But I have to want to do it. I have to want to overcome that temptation. I have to want to stay the Course with God. So for this morning, as we wrap up this section of Jesus' prayer, I want to add just a couple more things of how we pray to God. Again, I want us to think in terms of thinking of God as your Father, talking to Him in such a way who wants to hear these things from us, who wants to our prayers who wants a conversation a close relationship with him and when i talk to him we can talk to him about physical things but give me what i need but let's not go before him with all of our selfish wishes and all of our selfish greeds and all the things that we think that we need but really what we do need and when we do that i think we will come back and realize god has provided for us very well and he has provided for our needs He provides for our needs from day one and has provided for each of us of our needs every day that we've been alive. And we thank God for that. Bring God the little things. He doesn't mind. You're not bugging God. I think I have to put that phrase into my mind, really. You're not bugging God. I'm not. It's okay to talk to Him about the little things of life. In fact, that's a good thing to do to prevent worse things from happening, to prevent the big things from popping up. Talk to God about little things. Those decisions that you need to make with the right course in life, pray to Him, seek His guidance using the Scriptures as your guide. Ask God for forgiveness. He wants to forgive. This whole book from start to finish is all about how He'd be able to forgive us. He wants to forgive us. It's okay to go to God and ask for forgiveness. As we did in our first lesson, He already knows we sinned. There's no surprise that you're going to give Him and He's going to go, I had no idea that you were committing those sins. He knows. So you might as well ask Him for forgiveness. He wants you to come and get it. Have a forgiving heart. As I get forgiveness from God, as I repeatedly ask God for forgiveness on a daily basis, it reminds me to be forgiving to other people, to be compassionate and concerned for them. And then pray for God's help. In face of trials, before a trial, during the trial, during temptations and before temptations, pray for God's help. Pray for His strength. And the responsibility on our part to strengthen ourselves so that we can prepare to fight Satan. But God has given us all we need. I hope we'll include these things in our prayer life. Lord willing, next week we're going to now shift over to the scene in Gethsemane. And the prayer of Jesus there is quite heart-wrenching to read. And to see how he talks to God there gives us another insight as to how we can approach our Father. You pull your psalm books out, we're now going to sing an invitation song. And we invite you (laughs) to come to Jesus Christ, who has died for your sins, has opened the way and provided the opportunity so that we can have God as our Father. He has reconciled the broken relationship. Because of our sins, we are the ones who have been the violators and have ruined it. And Jesus Christ, He came as our Savior and He repaired it. As through His blood we have the forgiveness of sins. And it's through Him that we are able to call Him our Father. Won't you come to Him this morning, repent of your sins, turn away from the life of sinfulness, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. Do that now while we stand, while we sing.